I'm not in my own country. I'm in another country. And if I'm going to experience this country, I have to treat it as if I am in someone's house. And I also had to remind myself that we are in a house with our families, our mom or dad or brothers and sisters, and we don't all get along. We have to find what works for us. So it started with that mentality, like realizing that I'm in someone's else house and there's nothing I can change about it. And they like it like this. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Flourish in the Foreign, the award-winning podcast that celebrates, elevates, and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad while exploring living abroad as a pathway to wellness. I'm your host, Christine Job, a Black American woman originally from Atlanta, currently residing in Valencia, Spain. I'm not only a podcaster, but I'm also a business strategist that helps Black women and women of color leverage their talents and skills into viable and sustainable businesses, businesses that make them financially abundant and professionally fulfilled while they pursue thriving lives abroad. If you are interested in starting your own business, either in your home country or perhaps to take abroad, I invite you to purchase my new and improved Build a Business Abroad guide. It has over 20 pages of information and prompts to really get you clear and confident about starting a business abroad and about what it really will take. You can find that at the Flourish in the Foreign website, but also you can find it in a link in the description of this episode. And speaking of guides, the Moving Abroad with Intention guide has also been revitalized and updated and is now available for purchase via the link in the description in this episode. That guide is over 40 pages of really insightful journal prompts to get you clear about your intentional move abroad. I've gotten so many wonderful emails about this guide, people who have been moved and people who feel just so much more confident and clear about what they actually want in this next chapter of their life. And so I think all of you who have downloaded the guide, I really appreciate it. And if you haven't gotten your Move Abroad with Intention guide, you can purchase it again via the link in the description of this episode. Now, y'all know this award-winning podcast is a labor of love, but y'all know it, labor nonetheless. And so I ask you to please support this podcast. You can do so by buying me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash flourish foreign. You can do so by purchasing a piece of production equipment via our Amazon wish list, which is also in the description of this episode. And you can write a review of this podcast in Apple or Spotify. And I really do appreciate those reviews. They really do make a difference for just discoverability. So thank you all who have already written reviews. And those of you that haven't, come on, come on now. Also, please, please share this podcast. Continue sharing it with your friends, your family, your coworkers, your email list, your social media following. It really does make a difference, and I do appreciate it. All right, on to the episode. Today, 
Today's guest is Teresa Barrett, and Teresa is originally from Jamaica and is now living in Mexico City. She moved to Mexico in 2013, originally to teach. She has now established a business called La Jamaica, where she cooks and shares her native cuisine with the people of Mexico City through her cooking classes and catering. During our conversation, we chatted about why she wanted to leave Jamaica in the first place and how she made the decision to move to Mexico instead of Hungary, but also about the differences in work culture she encountered in Mexico, along with y'all's favorite topic, dating abroad and getting married abroad. We also talked about purchasing real estate in Mexico as well. I think you're going to enjoy Teresa's story, but I'm going to let her tell you all about it. My name is Teresa Barrett. I'm currently living in Mexico City and I am 34. I am from Kingston, Jamaica, and I would say having the experience of traveling around Jamaica and exploring the different parishes that led me to wanting to travel outside of my own country and live outside as well. So the journey of me getting here started with a writing group. And with that writing group, we would travel around different parts of Jamaica and experience different aspects of Jamaica, the mountains, the rivers, and the beach. And being with that group for three years, I was thinking that maybe there is something outside of Jamaica besides visiting another country. But what about living in another country and experience another country, culture and experience? And so after that period, I was looking for jobs outside of Jamaica. I looked at different countries And in the end, it boiled down to Mexico and another country, Hungary. And I chose Mexico because of the offer that they had, the company at the time had proposed. Teresa decided to move abroad and teach. And she had the option between a position in Mexico and one in Hungary. And so I asked her, how and why did she decide to move to Mexico instead of Hungary? I like taking risks. And even though I like taking risks, it has to make sense and it doesn't need to feel like a waste of time. With Hungary, I did the interview. It was two or three interviews. And then the last minute they said, I have to come for another interview. And so I asked them, am I paying for the airfare? And when I asked if I was paying for the airfare, they said yes. And I asked if there were any guarantees of me getting this job and they said there are no guarantees. So I decided not to follow up with them, whereby with Mexico offer, I say it's the best housing was provided and everything was taken care of. So why not? I'm always intrigued by the responses from friends and families when my guests and people I know announce that they have decided to move abroad. The responses are quite often varied and uh, interesting to say the least. And so I asked Teresa, what did her friends and family think when she announced to them that she was leaving Jamaica and moving to Mexico? I didn't say much to my friends and family around until everything was solidified. I said it to a few friends and the friends that I, when I look back at the friends that I shared it with were the friends that worked in government 
and they traveled. So they were super supportive in regards to family and friends. They weren't supportive. They were sending me all kinds of articles related to what's going on in Mexico, how dangerous Mexico is. And it was nothing positive. And me being cheeky, I would send them all the bad things the U.S. in particular would say on their website about Jamaica in different periods of time. I asked Teresa to walk me through her process of preparing to leave Jamaica for Mexico and also... What was it like when she landed in Mexico, not to visit, but to live? And how those early days in Mexico went? So leading up to me leaving Jamaica, I gave away a lot. I gave away my, I didn't even sell anything. Looking at how people now travel, they sell things. I didn't sell anything. I just gave them away. I had friends come over to take clothing, furniture and stuff like that. And a week like maybe three days, I already had received my visa from Jamaica to travel into Mexico for work, but I don't think my paperwork on Mexico side was ready. And can you imagine me being in an empty five-bedroom house, no job, and receive an email saying that my paperwork is not ready yet? This was like three days before traveling out of Jamaica, and, and I was in an empty house just with my one bag to travel, and my laptop back. And, and I say, you know what? Even if the work doesn't go through, I already have housing already. I have the airfare already. So no matter what, I still would be going. And like two days before, I got an email saying that everything is okay. When I came to Mexico, I was wearing a shorts and a t-shirt because checking the weather, it says it would be sunny. And then when I arrived to Mexico, it wasn't sunny. It was at night and it was cold. And I was like practically half naked, I would say. I was a ball of different emotions, I would say. Excited, nervous, and cold. Because reality hit. I'm in a country where I don't speak the language. At the time, at the airport, who spoke English? Not many people. It was a struggle. I always ask my guests about how long it took them to feel settled in a country. Because, you know, when you move abroad, it isn't like, all right, now I live here. Everything's great. I think there's a lot of mental, emotional, and physical adjustments that just have to be made. And depending on who you are, what stage of life you're in, where you move to, there's a lot of factors. It may take two months, it may take two years, or you may never feel actually settled in a place. Yes. So I asked Teresa, how long did it take for her to get settled into her new life in Mexico? I think really didn't hit until after six months. But leading up, I approached Mexico, even though there was a language barrier, I approached Mexico like it was my home. So the driver came, picked me up, take me to the, the housing accommodation. Fine. Then I had to go to the office and be introduced to everyone at the office. And then, you know, in a professional environment, you're used to shaking hands. Everyone was just a grab and a kiss. And I was like, mm, hello, what's going on here? So how the greeting was a culture shock. Settling into work was not a problem because it was a professional environment. I knew what my responsibilities were. So that was not 
an issue. And I would go out, like for that first week, I would go out, but the people I would go up with would be the co-workers. And I was like, no, I wanted to explore more like with the locals. And some of the locals at the time, this was in San Luis. I was living in San Luis at the time. They weren't, some were friendly, some were not friendly. So that was a bit of culture shock. And I remember even one of my coworkers, she's Mexican-American, she would go shopping with me and people would be shouting things and she would like curse them out because of her body language. And she's an older lady, super kind. And I was like, what is going on? And she would never wanted to tell me what was going on. And so when I would travel through different places in San Luis by myself, people slur stuff. And then I would go back to work and say, hey, what does this mean? And then people would be looking at me and I was like, tell me what it means. And they would not tell me. And this old, older man, rest his soul, he's not alive anymore. He explained to me what were the things that were being said. And I was like, this is not nice. Why are people saying this to me? And not knowing or asking me where I'm from specifically. So that was a culture shock. And I had to be more careful at that time how I go in different spaces by myself. After the six months of being here, I had to step out and say, hey, I'm not in my own country. I'm in another country. And if I'm going to experience this country, I have to treat it as if I am in someone's house. And I also had to remind myself that we are in a house with our families, our mom or dad or brothers and sisters, and we don't all get along along well, we have to find what works for us. So it started with that mentality, like realizing that I'm in someone else's house and there's nothing I can change about it and they like it like this. And then after that, my my other moment was in 2019. I stepped out of being in a circle of um, expats or international community and start going in more in with intention in the Mexican community. And I found myself hiking, doing all the things that I enjoy back home, riding bikes. And those are things I loved and I wanted to do. I still haven't found a charity that I'm comfortable giving my time to. But those were the moments I realized that Mexico is becoming my home and I feel super comfortable. I know that some of you are really eager to work abroad and sometimes I think that kind of generalization of working abroad is kind of romanticized. And something I've talked about in a recent IG Live is really understanding the work culture that you're stepping into, hopefully before you take the job, so that you can really have a realistic expectation and not like a Emily in Paris kind of expectation of what working abroad will be. Because you are living abroad in a different country, but you know, you're still working. So I asked Teresa to describe to me her experience within the Mexican work culture. The work culture is different compared to my experience in Jamaica. Like if you and your boss go out for lunch, it's usually to talk business is nothing personal. It depends also on the relationship you have with your boss. Here, you can go out. You It was by first name. Back home, I was used to calling like Mr. or Miss and everyone was like, no, you can call me by my first name. And the work culture here, and there are different work culture depending on where, what company. For example, my, the company that I was with, it was an international company. So there were different people from different backgrounds. And so with that, it was super relaxed, in my opinion. 
it was relaxed. It was by first name basis. Nothing was taken personally. Nothing was taken personal. And so that was the interesting culture whereby my past work experience, you know, this is you're the boss. There are certain lines you don't cross, you know. And for me, that was pretty relaxed. The work culture here was pretty relaxed. But as it comes to pay, uh, it's not the same for foreigners and Mexicans. And that was pretty interesting to learn about. I worked four hours a day. And this includes me teaching whenever I would like a class or if I'm hiring for the company. And actually, I said this is the hours I would want to work per day. I was comfortable with that. And when I looked at the reality of Mexicans, they would work long hours. I would say, this is a very sensitive topic, but it's just that they would work in the traditional, I would say, work environment. They would work from seven, depending on their position, until way past their four o'clock up until one in the morning. And I would ask, hey, and San Luis is an automotive industry. And when I asked them, hey, so do you get paid overtime? Do you get paid extra? When you work these long hours for a period of time, do you get long time to stay home? You know, this is how I was processing and think would happen. And I would ask them and they would say, no, it's my job and it's required. And I was like, okay, this interesting and new and educational for me. But overall, Mexicans are hard workers, but I don't think they're rewarded for their work. So that's the difference with international company and traditional Mexican companies, in my opinion. When Teresa first arrived in Mexico, she lived in San Luis Potosí, and now she lives in Mexico City. So I asked her to describe the differences between the two cities. The difference, obvious difference between Mexico City and San Luis Potosí is that there are more to see and do in the city. There are tons more. Every day there is something. you. In San Luis, when I live in San Luis, I would have to check the calendar of events and plan for open-air cinema, lighting up buildings, you know, on different days. This was the experience. I don't know if they have improved on that, but it wouldn't be every day there is an activity whereby in Mexico City, you can just step out your door and walk somewhere, stumble upon a live jazz playing, Go then after that you go to a cafe, then after that you go to a museum, after that you go to a cinema. There is so much more here to do every day where you'll have 12, 20 events if you look on the local calendar for the city, whereby in San Luis that wasn't the case. However, in San Luis, it had more natural resources like parks, uh, waterfalls. Parks are here in the city. There are waterfalls there in San Luis that are not here. You have to drive like an hour away to get access to that where it's more, there are more options of that in San Luis. So those are the few differences, but I like them both. They have their purpose. Mexico is becoming a popular spot for Black expats and Black women expats from Playa del Carmen to Puerto Vallarta to Mexico City to Oaxaca to Merida and everywhere else. 
So I asked Teresa what has been her experience as a Black woman in Mexico. As a Black woman now traveling around Mexico, I think once you speak the language, well, for me, once I speak the language or at least try to speak the language, they're more receptive and more comfortable, you know, entertaining my conversations as well. And in the beginning, it wasn't... Depending on where I would travel, it wasn't friendly. If I go to like the rural part where there's not a lot of Black people, they're more curious. That has been my experience. They're more curious to know where I'm from, why I'm here. And if it's an area that is predominantly male, then there is some sort of aggression. That has been my experience, depending on where I travel in Mexico. So we all know that Black people, we're not a monolith, and that we are all around the world and been around the world in III forever. We've been doing this. And so I'm always curious to learn more about Black communities abroad. So I asked Teresa to describe some of the Black communities she knows and is a part of while living in Mexico. So the Black community that I am a part of, well, there are two, one that I linger around. The other one that I'm in a part of and I love is because they're all women that root for you. And sometimes I feel pressure because, you know, they have an expectation of always doing good. But I understand that we're all from different backgrounds and what they do mean no harm. It's just love, you know, and I love them, but don't tell them, okay? So I found... One, it was something I posted on a Facebook group. One of the ladies reached out and said, hey, you're from the Caribbean. I was like, yeah, I'm from Jamaica. Where are you from? And she she shared where she's from. And then from that, I felt comfortable with her. And then there was another Black lady who told me about Flourish in the Foreign. And we connected over about sewing. And I was like, okay, I like her. I like these ladies. These ladies are my vibe. And they created a WhatsApp group for Black women in the city. I'm telling you, they're fancy, they're classy, but I learned so much from them. Things that we get up to when we are all in town, we would have uh, get-togethers, cocktails. Someone's going to start a book club within that group just to get to know each other and also welcome people if they're in the city, and share resources. I asked Teresa if she was fluent in Spanish and what has been her language journey with Spanish. Oh my goodness. I think I am fluent enough to to have business transactions, to make friends, and also get to know people. I look at language as baby steps and also having motivation. The baby stuff is that you learn like a baby first, you crawl and you build on those muscles. And that's, I think that's a phase I am in and still will be for a long time. And then in the early stages, there were many opportunities for me to learn Spanish, but I was like, oh no, I am not going to do business here. I'm not going to live here for a long time. And I'm just here. So it wasn't important. I'm just going to explore. But that exploring didn't involve the language. But now having a business and having to communicate with Mexicans and also companies and organizations, Spanish, I would say in that regard, I'm fluent enough to communicate what I need to get 
and understand what the person also wants to receive. I asked her to share with all of you some tips and tricks, or maybe just some insights for learning Spanish for all of you that are considering moving to a Spanish-speaking country. I would say take yourself out of your comfort zone would be my advice. And these are advice that I apply to myself as well. I'm not going to try this because I think, and I think in this is limiting myself. That was when I look back, that's what I did. I limit myself and not challenge myself. And after losing a customer, I say, hey, I have to get out of my comfort zone. I'm not perfect. Nothing is perfect small steps. And so with that, I put myself in every space where there are Mexicans in order to practice. And that would be like Toastmasters, clubs, speaking clubs, just having conversations in the market, asking for people to tell me what it is in Spanish, not English. Even if they would tell me what it is in English, I want to know what it is in Spanish. It's like putting myself, I mean, I like talking to people, but with more intention of learning and understanding things in Spanish. And also, you know, just have conversation, like things that you are curious about, try and get it in Spanish. You might not get everything, but you get bits and pieces by the key words that you understand from what they're saying. Those would be my few tips, which I have already applied to myself and still doing. Teresa originally came to Mexico to teach, but now, through her love of cooking, has her own business, La Jamaica. So I asked her, how and why did she start her business? Okay, so I enjoy cooking. I enjoy hosting small, intimate experience with friends who are close. And it started in San Luis. I was in San Luis, and I had came back for time from Jamaica and I had food from my country and I said, Hey, I'm going to share this before everything finished. And when I did that, everyone was like, Oh, you should have this as a business. And I was like, nah, I just want to do this and people be relaxed and enjoy a piece of my culture through food. And then a couple of years after, maybe a year or two years after I moved to the city, I was working at a school And I wasn't happy. I asked them for, hey, I would take a cut in my salary. I don't need to be here all day. And they wouldn't do that. So I decided not to continue with that school. And so my husband said, hey, the thing that brings you joy is either being out of the city or cooking and having sharing it with someone. Why don't you do that? And I brushed it off and I was like, nah. And then I called a friend uh, in the U.S. and I was screaming mad, like, hey, I can't take this. They're irrational. I don't see the sense. And, and she just said, hey, you enjoy cooking. You enjoy being around Mexico. Why don't you either have a business where you share Mexico through your eyes or you cook Jamaican food? No one is doing that. And so I was like, okay. But I was walking throughout on the metro throughout Mexico, people were like, ¿De dónde eres? And I was like, soy de Jamaica. And they would like, I've never had Jamaican food. And I responded, it was in the most eloquent way. And people would show up. And I was like, oh. And then I created a, an account on Meetup saying Jamaican food. And I got a lot of responses from the city and people along the coastline. And I was like, whoa, okay. And so that's how I started it. I started it 
something that I enjoy, something that I love, and the reception has and still is better than I imagine. The name of the business is La Jamaica. Jamaica alone means it was the indigenous name for Jamaica, which means land of wood and water and la because lady, lady Jamaica, La Jamaica. When I started out the business, I was only having guests in my home. And with the pandemic, I pivoted by offering cooking classes, a lot more catering, still do cooking classes online and in person at the moment and catering. I haven't gone back to having guests in my home. If I do have guests in my home, they're usually coming to Mexico. They hear about me. And so I do the private hosting in my home. So that's pretty much what I do, La Jamaica does at the moment. I asked Teresa to share some advice with those of you who may be interested in starting a business in Mexico. Starting a business, you might dive into doing research. You can take many um, approaches and it depends on the kind of person you are. If you just like to learn as you go or you want to have information as you go, I would just say start small. Start with what you have where you are and build from there. And you will be surprised as you evolve when you start that business. Hey, I hope that you are enjoying this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. And if this episode has got you thinking about taking that leap abroad, I would love for you to consider joining the Move Abroad with Intention course. The Move Abroad with Intention course is currently a five-week live course. So that means it is five weeks. There's pre-recorded material, but also every week for five weeks, you and me and everyone else, a part of the cohort, get together for about an hour to talk about your move abroad strategy. We talk about things that were in the material, things that were not in the material. So if you're looking to have a conversation with me about your move abroad plan and also join an amazing community of warm and lovely women who are on the same journey as you, consider joining the Move Abroad with Intention course today. All right, let's continue the show. I asked Teresa to share her intention for this year and some of the things she really just wanted to focus on and was really excited to bring to fruition. And this is what she said. My intention for the year is to definitely start working on my farm. I've I've been collecting seeds to plant and that's one of the many intentions. And the other intention is to grow my business. Teresa has a farm in Mexico And when she told me that she had a farm, actually, we had almost already finished recording. It was kind of like offhandedly, she mentioned that she had a farm. And I was like, whoa, 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 start the tape up. Like, what is this? And so she told me why she wanted to buy a farm and how she bought the farm. It's an hour and a half outside of uh, Mexico City. I had purchased land in... 2020, January 2020, with the intention of opening a farm-to-table restaurant. And then the pandemic put things into perspective where I now have a name, Casa Tortuga, because 
with that happening, I was anxious to do all these. I had all these grand ideas. And then when I put my Excel sheets against my pockets, I realized reality. Oh, darling, those Excel sheet numbers are bigger than my pocket. But when I get there, I will do like the turtle do slowly, one step at a time, one step at a time. Yeah. So my intention, my intention is to have a farm to table, very sustainable because I don't want to do it every day. I want to do my part for the environment. <laughs> That's what I tell myself. Yeah. Okay. So there are two process because uh, three process because I've had three experience. So the first experience, which was difficult, didn't go through was because I wasn't a resident at the time. This was in 2014. No foreigner can purchase near the coastline unless you are a citizen and also have a trust. And I didn't want to go through that process. The second process which went through, but it was joint purchase. It, it was easy, but that was handled by the, what do you call it? The agency and a lawyer. No, the last one, which I did alone. In Spanish, the husband only checked to see that nothing funny was going on and he had no part in this. It was easy. And the reason why this process was easy was because I purchased inland. It's in the middle of nowhere, practically. No one has no interest in this area and the process was easy. I didn't even use a lawyer, but they did use a notary. And I think it was pretty easy. For me, it was easy because I understood the language I now understood the system and I had someone who could check, double check for me. But I wanted to purchase in Merida. When I wanted to purchase in Merida, I wanted to actually have, I had asked two of my friends, you know, hey girls, can we put our money together and buy this land? And based on the amount of money we all put together, we get that portion and we just share it and split it because I wanted land in Merida and the weather is amazing for me. But they weren't interested. They thought I was like, they were thinking because they're not in Mexico, the money would, they, they didn't see any value in it. And then when I had my, I had enough money, I was still looking. I was actually looking for two years until I found something that I like. Oh, in fact, it was too good to be true. Like my husband was like 45,000 pesos. Mm -mm, that's no land in Mexico sold for that. And I did my checks. I, I had friends who were architect. I had asked them to um, do checks on it. And it was, they were like, it was legit. And so I asked the husband to come and check it out with me. Mm, Christine, just imagine, picture this. Sunday at seven in the morning, I wake you out of bed, get you on a bus. We got off the bus on the side of the road, heavy truck passing. And you're just looking at me like, why you bring me here? That was my husband. So we're at the segment of the interview where I asked the most popular question. I asked, what is dating in Mexico been like for you? My experience dating in Mexico was interesting. And the reason why that was interesting was because I don't understand you being 35, you're not home with your mom and your mom don't know how to knock your door. That was interesting. But I didn't date a lot in Mexico, I would say. And what is dating a lot? Hmm. Hmm. Dating was interesting. I didn't date a lot, but I knew what I did not want. I didn't want someone who lives with their mom, who drinks more than I did, and who smoked more than I did. 
when you're looking for a relationship or when you're intentional about a relationship, whether it be intimate or just a friend, you know the things that you want. And I think the best place to start from are the things you don't want. And that's what I did in any friendship. My partner, now my husband, asked, what do I want? And I said, hey, I don't want you to waste my time. I don't want to waste your time. However, our first date should be on a hike just in case I don't like you. I can leave you in the woods because I know how to get in and out. Do you? So our first date was a walk around Mexico City. And then after that, he took me to an Indian restaurant because I told him I like Indian food. And so he listened because when we got there, he said, I know you like Indian food. So this is the spot. Uh -huh. That was my first memorable day because then I realized, ah, oh, he's a listener. Mm, I like it. He listens. We met online and it was good. Normally I cook in the afternoon and we were chatting from in the morning till in the afternoon till midnight. I went to the taco stand with my phone and the guy who I always have taco from is like, mm, que amor. Like he was making fun at the time saying that I'm in love because... I was just on the phone and eating tacos at midnight. When I was dating in person, my coworkers were like, not good. Why don't you try online dating? And I must be honest and say I was a snob. And someone recommended this uh, online platform called Plenty of Fish. Let me tell you, it is sleazy. Even though I have a husband from the platform, I'm not advertising from Plenty of Fishes unless they upgrade their system. Let me make that clear. On this platform, I put my profile in English and I, I filtered with age and I stated what I wanted and what I didn't want on it. I think I did that. And the main reason was to find a walking dictionary. If you understand what I mean, a walking dictionary is someone that is human that is going to teach me Spanish. That's what I thought. And with this platform, the people I met before my partner, they were nasty, like awful. And at one point I did remove the app. I did remove the app because it was so frustrating. I thought they were rude. And then when I reactivated it, you know, I met the love of my eyes. I don't think there was much we had to overcome, but I, it's, it's related to food, but I'll explain that a little bit later. When we met online, he was very forthcoming. He was very honest. And I thought he was joking that he wanted a relationship. Like I, like I brushed him off. And then I realized because he has traveled and deal with a lot of people, his way of communicating with me didn't feel like I'm nailing frame on a wall where I need to level this out and mark a line and all of that. It was so easy talking to him. And we had a, a few things in common when in the early stages of our relationship. I think when we lived together, that was a challenge, a little bit of challenge. But in the early stages, because we were talking online for three months And he had asked me for my number. I was like, dude, mm -mm, I don't know you. Let's talk on Skype. I need to see your face. If you're real, if this picture match up. And I remember in one of our conversation, because I asked him, what is he looking for? And he was like, I want a partner to spend the rest of my life with. And I was like, mm, 
I was on the other side ticking because that's what I wanted. Like, I think I've been through enough then where I knew I wanted a partner to share my life with because I've had some experiences alone where I now need to share my life. But then when he asked me to be his girlfriend, I was like, "Mm, sir, you're working too fast. We need to wait. So he was more serious and he knew what he wanted. So there was no, not much challenges there. Even us being from two different backgrounds. But then I started asking, hey, he's a doctor, not a medical doctor, but a doctor has a doctorate. And I was like, "Mm, how does your family feel if I am a stripper? And he was like, "Mm, that's none of their business. And I was like, are you serious? Who I, and then he said, who I love or who is my partner, as long as I'm happy, that's important. What they think. I was like, sir, you can't be too good to be true, but let us wait. I don't know if we can be girlfriend or boyfriend or anything like that. So he, I respected him from the point that he wasn't someone who judged and he was different from the typical Mexican men that I have encountered. Now, you ask about the challenges. I This is when we live together. Like when you're cooking rice, I like to wash my rice. Do you wash my rice? Let's debate that in the kitchen. Maybe those shouldn't be a problem, but those were issues for me. Having the kitchen clean, I like a clean kitchen. After the three months, I was coming to the city and he wanted, he invited me to a wedding. And I was like, oh, perfect. I'll see you. And I was like looking at him as a good friend that, hey, you're going to, this is what I'm wearing. What do you think? And I was in stores buying stuff and he was helping me choose and stuff like that. The first time we met, was when we were going to a wedding together and uh, oh my god this is so funny I wish he was here to hear me telling you this so you could hear his reaction oh no the first time we met when he came and saw me I was in the night and I was like oh shorty but you're you're good looking shorty and then on the day of the wedding when we were going to the wedding I was like oh shorty And then there is a different conversation that comes up. How do you feel that I'm a taller woman than you? But he's super confident. He's like, you look good. You're confident. I'm confident. What else matters? Nothing but love, darling. Him being educated and confident and respectful, those are the bonus. Those are the bonus indeed. Meeting your partner's family is a big deal. No matter the language, the location, the stage of life you're in, it's just, it's like a big deal. And so I asked Teresa to describe to me her experience meeting her now husband's family. Oh, no one has ever asked this question. Oh my goodness. And we think and talk about this a lot. Meeting his family, there were, let me be polite, let me be diplomatic. Lovely. His mom's side of family amazing super amazing 100% matriarch when I say they're the boss they are the boss his dad's side of family I don't know much of them but the few of them I would say they are more traditional but you know in my book a woman rules so that's what mother his mom's side of family and his mom is what matters to me when he met my my the people in my life that are important they love him and they kind of traumatize him a bit. If you try anything, was the first reaction. When he met members from my family, the ladies from my family and friends, 
One asks this question, if you try Teresa, do you know what will happen? He's like, I know. And so it was a lovely experience on both sides. Not a threatening one, but a lovely one. But they, in the end, they were like, I should take care of him. He's a good guy, blah, blah, blah. And then I speak in my dialect. And I did, and I, and I didn't do that for him not to understand. They were, they were, they, I was talking in my dialect and they were like shouting, like speak in English so he understand what's going on. So yeah, when he met my mom and the people that are close to me, it was lovely. They all love him. Dating abroad brings in sometimes a really interesting component, which is cultural differences, right? Being in an intercultural relationship can prove tricky sometimes because of misunderstandings or just of different expectations within a relationship. And so I asked Teresa to describe to me something about her now husband that maybe took her off guard or she wasn't really sure about something that was a cultural difference that they had to kind of manage together. For him being a provider, no matter what, for him, it was because of how he was brought up. I think it was because of how he was brought up. But he said, you being a woman, if you want to have whatever you want to have, whether it be finance or just go out and enjoy yourself or have, I will always be here for you, no matter what. I was like, you like pain. You like suffering. Oh, darling. No, honey. You know, that's how I, when we had the, when we chat about this, that's what I said. <laughs> oh my God. If you're listening, you have to be here to understand the relationship. <laughs> He's a sweet guy, 100%. But I think it also stems from how he was brought up, you know, with his dad, no matter what, even if he's not with his, his mom, he provides for her with her knowing or without her knowing he's always providing. So, Yeah. I think it's a good thing and a bad thing, but I'm happy. Why not? (laughs) I asked Teresa, what is her personal definition of wellness? And how has that definition and how has that concept, that practice evolved as she has lived abroad? It has evolved with me taking up more activities than I did in terms of wellness. For me, wellness back home, I would ride with my group. I will always be in nature because it was so accessible in terms of distance, whether by bicycle or taking a bus. And for here, I here in Mexico, I I still do my walking, but I've added to that meditation and yoga. And I also believe that if I am not happy, you're going to know. If I'm not taken care of and it's if I am not good, I cannot be good for anybody else. I have to be a good, healthy vessel where I take care of me, whether it be time away from technology just to read or whatever. And if if I just to recharge myself, these are the ways in which I do that. Yoga, which is a new addition, walking constantly and meditation. And once I have this happy start to my day, my wellness, and everything else is sunshine and rainbow. I asked Teresa to share some advice for all of you who are thinking about moving to Mexico. If you're interested in moving to Mexico, the first thing I say, your intentions. Why are you moving? Think about that. That's the first thing. And two, 
Listen to your intuition. Do not listen to the outside voices, especially if they have not even leave their own hometown or go to where you're going and have no positive advice to give you. And three, if you don't bet on yourself and take that risk for yourself, you're going to be thinking about what if, what if, what if, and you will never know because you never bet on yourself. Thank you so much, Teresa, for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. For those of you that want to keep up with Teresa, you can via her social media. Yes, Teresa Mesa876 on Instagram is my personal Instagram. And La Jamaica, which is L-A-X-A-Y-M-A-C-A on Instagram. Those are the places on the internet you can find me again big thanks to Teresa for just being a wonderful guest and thanks to all of you for listening if you want to learn more about Teresa you can by visiting her show notes page on the Flourish in the Foreign website which is flourishintheforeign.com and for those of you that are interested and ready to move abroad but you want to move abroad with intention and with support Please remember that the Move Abroad Intention course is launching soon, imminently. So be sure that you are on the email list so you get the email when I say, hey, it's time to sign up, okay? Because it is a live course now, but it will not always be a live course. So if you really would like that community, if you really want to chat with me, this is the time to sign up and I'll be so grateful to have you. And if you'd like to support this here podcast, I love for you to support this podcast. You can go ahead and buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash flourish foreign. Please leave a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And also share it. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Share it on social media. If you are listening to this podcast for the first time, I'd love to get your insights. You can slide in my DMs. If you've been listening to this podcast forever, I appreciate you and I love you. Love you so much. Okay, that is all. And as always, big thanks to Zachary Higgs, who produced the music of this here podcast. Thank you very much, Zach. And remember, it is not about moving abroad. And it surely isn't about just being abroad for IG and all those things. It's about thriving abroad. So go abroad and cultivate a life well lived. See y'all next time. Bye. On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. Being exotic for the environment is something that I accept. I don't look at it as being a negative thing at all. In the States, I didn't feel desired at all. I, I definitely felt like ignored and being here in this part of the world, I do feel like a desirable woman and it feels very good because I think every woman wants to feel desired on some level, feel like her beauty is recognized and she wants to be seen and seen for who she is. I am very grateful that I've had the opportunity 
to feel like I am a beautiful and desirable woman, period. And it's boosted my confidence. It's boosted my self-esteem. It's helped me to embrace my humanity. 